Al Jazeera podcast. What can the United Nations do to end Israel's war on Gaza? The UN chief has pointed to clear violations of international humanitarian law. Israel and its supporters refuse any talk of a ceasefire. So, does diplomacy stand a chance in Gaza? I'm Bernard Smith, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyse and help define major global stories. Let's bring in our guests. In Istanbul is Richard Falk, a visiting professor at Istinia University and a former UN Special Rapporteur for the Occupied Palestinian Territories. In Tel Aviv is Raphael Jerusalemi, a former Israeli intelligence officer and security analyst. And in Manila is Chris Gunnes, a former UN Relief and Works Agency spokesperson who is speaking today in an independent capacity. A warm welcome to you all. And Chris, I'll, I'll start with you. How much influence can the UN have when some of its most influential members are not interested in a ceasefire? Well, the answer, sadly, is very little. And when you look at the Israeli reaction to the very reasonable remarks of the UN Secretary General, who simply said that there is a context of this fighting, that uh, it didn't happen in a vacuum. And when you look at the fact that the Israeli foreign minister immediately cancelled a meeting with him and Israel has now said it will refuse to give visas um, to Israeli officials, to UN officials, including the highest humanitarian in the UN system, you have to wonder when sense is going to prevail. You have a situation where diplomatically, for making perfectly reasonable remarks, the UN Secretary General finds himself rejected by one side. And on the ground, UNRWA, the United Nations Relief and Works Agency, for which I used to work, finds itself completely on its knees. Um, it has 600,000 displaced people in its schools. All 13,000 of its staff have been withdrawn to the south. And um, 35 of its staff have been killed and 40 of its installations have been hit. So, you know, UNRWA is the only other massive service provider, apart from the Palestinian Authority, the Hamas authorities, capable of delivering aid. So in the humanitarian right. sense and in a diplomatic sense, the UN finds itself completely marginalised. Richard, is, is, would you agree with that? Is the UN uh, powerless to do anything at the moment in, re in, re in relation to Gaza? Uh, yes, the UN is shown to be helpless in the face of this situation. But one must remember that the UN is also important in uh, the symbolism of politics. And it has had a dramatic effect on the uh, peoples of the world and the outrage that has uh, that Israel has encountered throughout the world for undertaking this kind of indiscriminate and massive violence accompanied by uh, draconian uh, restrictions on the uh, importation of food, electricity, fuel, and water. So it is an outrage that in the digital age, confronts people everywhere in real time. And the UN plays a role, and the Secretary General was acting actually uh, in full accord with his responsibility as the highest okay. administrative official in relation to the UN Charter. 
Okay. So the Israeli outrage against him is just one more display of repudiation of international authority. All right. Thank, I mean, let me put that then to, to Rafael. Rafael, Antonio Guterres says the grievances of the Palestinian people cannot justify the appalling attacks by Hamas, and those appalling attacks cannot justify the collective punishment of the Palestinian people. It seems a fairly even-handed thing to say. Why has that provoked such fury, a furious response from Israel? Well, first of all, I am uh, in entire agreement with Mr. Guterres, the Secretary General of the United Nations, when he said that the assault of the Hamas on Israel was not in a vacuum. And uh, it's very, very, very true, uh, because the vacuum was filled by uh, the incitement uh, from Iran behind the Hamas uh, there is Iran, there are the Russians, the Chinese, a lot of power. Uh, Qatar is involved. Qatar is sometimes involved in a humanitarian way, but sometimes it supports the Hamas. It's a little ambiguous. So right, right, really, no vacuum on the country. The sea is full of, sh of sharks. The sea is full of dangerous animals uh, that are pushing and helping the Hamas with weaponry, with money, etc. Okay, okay, Rafael, I get, I get that. But, okay, but why that furious response from Israel when Antonio Guterres says he wants a humanitarian, you uh, want a humanitarian ceasefire for the innocent people, uh, Palestinians in Gaza? Why Israel is so angry about that? Uh, we're, we're, no, we're angry at the, the vacuum story more than at the humanitarian uh, ceasefire because the, the vacuum story, in a way is uh, legitimating and justifying terror. And uh, I sincerely hope, and it's already being prepared, that Mr. Gutierrez will appear in court, international court, and he will be judged and possibly condemned. Normal, normally, what he said is a six-month suspended sentence, uh, uh, jail yeah. sentence, because he has openly and publicly, as a per public person, right. uh, encouraged and, uh, uh, and, uh, and terrorism. But okay, on the other right. side, the ceasefire, the humanitarian part, I want to say one thing right away. Okay. We, the Israeli people, have no hatred and no grudge towards the Palestinian people. We want Palestinian children, women, uh, innocent civilians to be safe. And we want them out of the combat zone because combat there will be, and it will be a violent combat. And we point an accusing finger to the international community, and especially Okay. to Egypt and to most Arabic countries. Egypt is closing its borders right. to uh, Palestinian civilians that okay. could be in refugee camps. It has now accepted to do a refugee camp in the south of Gaza. Right. And I'm Thank still you. waiting to see from Qatar, from Saudi Arabia, a plane or a private yacht uh, take one okay. Palestinian child out of the combat zone. Point taken. Raphael, thank you. I mean, Chris, there's not much... Um, I mean, is the UN Security Council really going to be the best forum to eventually get a, a ceasefire when, you know, a, a fairly, fairly typical view from Israel is what you're just hearing there from Raphael? Well, the clear answer is no, and that's why it should probably go to the General Assembly in a uniting for peace type action, which is what happens when the Security Council is hamstrung. But if I may just reply to what Raphael was saying about the Secretary General's comments, if you read what the Secretary General has said... What he's saying is that the context is, A, the blockade of Gaza, 
which has gone on since 2007 in its most restrictive form, to the occupation of Palestinian land, which began in 1967 with its associated settler violence, which has increased with this far-right settler coalition, um, which is headed by, which was headed by Mr. Netanyahu. And thirdly, Mr. Gutierrez is referring to the uh, dispossession of the Palestinians in 1948 and the wholesale dismantlement of Palestinian society, which drove 750,000 refugees from their homes. They either fled or they were forced to flee their homes. And actually, those are the three underlying causes of this conflict which need to be addressed if the Israelis, are, Israeli civilians, are to live uh, free from fear and neurosis and anxiety, and if the Palestinians are not to be isolated and blockaded and radicalized oh. and brutalized anymore. So let's look at what the Secretary General has said, and let's look positively on it as a way of addressing the underlying causes. This Hamas violence has a cause, and contextualizing it is not to justify it. Trying to explain it um, is in no way any attempt to stand by and defend it. So let's not just reject what the highest diplomat in the world is saying. And as Richard would put it, um, Israel must not just flout, must just uh, reject the authority of the world community. Let's engage, Raphael, with some of these ideas, because that is the way to future peace for Israelis and for Palestinians. And when I look at what the brave people of southern Israel are saying, those people who've had their children kidnapped, they're the ones who are saying, I don't want a single life to be lost in the name of my kidnapped or my murdered okay. child. They are in the, the forefront of the search for peace. And people on Raphael's side of the conflict need to listen to what that constituency is saying. They are crying out for peace. And those are the people, the Israelis, who are on the border with Gaza, who have lost the most. All right. Uh, Raphael, I'll come back to you in a moment. But Richard, first of all, because we're, we're trying to focus on the UN's uh, role here. Is the Security Council going to be the best forum to get a ceasefire? Well, I don't think it's a feasible forum because of the uh, geopolitical determination of giving Israel unconditional support by the US, France, and the UK. Such a situation paralyzes uh, the UN Security Council, and the organization was created to give this kind of geopolitical power and it's a sad moment when it is appreciated that the worst of international crimes can uh, unfold while the world is watching and the UN is rendered helpless. I think the Uniting for Peace resolution approach via the General Assembly is a desirable one and a necessary one. But uh, I would expect uh, Israel to be as arrogant and defiant as it has been toward other aspects of UN and international legal authority. Raphael, there's obviously enormous fury uh, amongst Israelis at what Hamas was able to get away with on October the 7th. Is some of that fury an attempt, uh, is some of the anger at the UN an attempt to deflect the frustrations that, of what Hamas was able to get away with? Uh, first of all, there is no fury uh, on part of the Israeli people, just sadness. We are a people of peace. 
The fury is the Hamas. The killing, the cruelty is the Hamas. We are people of peace, but we have to defend ourselves. And if you think that the international community is not with us, you're mistaken. And the United Nations, if they want to sue us, then they will have to sue. President Macron was, of France was here yesterday. He renewed his support and he spoke of a coalition similar to the coalition fighting ISIS, fighting Daesh. So if we do our job, and our job is before any ceasefire, is to reach one objective, which will reach with quickly, is annihilate the Hamas, destroy the Hamas forever, and free Gaza from the Hamas rule. But if you want to tell us off uh, because of doing this, you're going to have to sue the French, the British, okay. the free uh, world, the Americans, because they're all in it with us. Wait Raphael, a second. You, you, now, when we... Raphael, you've been in <laughs> Israeli intelligence long enough to know that militarily you are never going to be able to wipe out Hamas. I mean, what is the end game in Gaza? Okay, you know well, that just, you'll never wipe out. You know how many times we were told that we can't do it? Uh, in the Six-Day Wars, in Antebe, and we did it. Just watch us. We have a surprise in store, but this is military. I just want to continue on two points that you mentioned. One is the legitimacy of uh, the Secretary General of the United Nations, uh, which he has lost forever by supporting terrorism. But I would also uh, accuse some other UN institution uh, of uh, uh, to be an accomplice of terrorism. It's UNRWA. UNRWA in Gaza is cooperating with the terrorists, is not protecting the civilians as it should, and is teaching children, little children, Palestinian children, hatred and killing the Jews and sacrificing and shahidim and jihad and brainwashing. I accuse the United Nations of being an accomplice to terrorism. Oh, and I will okay. finish by saying only one thing. And just one thing and I'm finished, I promise. Uh, you are talking about the occupation. We have evacuated Gaza years and years ago, and that's when the Hamas went into the vacuum. The vacuum that you're talking about, the Hamas filled it, and we are not present militarily or any other way in Gaza for years and years and years. And, and I finish now, we have given a lot, okay. a lot, thousands and thousands of work permits for Gazan workers to come and work in Israel, for Gazan students to go abroad, and we have let merchandise go into Gaza more and more. So okay. we have been the only real humanitarian and economic help right. to Gaza is Israel. Right. The first donor to okay. Gaza is Israel. All right. Well, Chris, I'll have to let you come back. And you've spent long enough in Gaza to explain well, the role of the UN there. I'll let you come back. Yeah. Yeah. Can I just work backwards through some of Raphael's completely mendacious tropes. First of all, this idea that Israel has left. As soon as Israel left, it imposed a blockade. And the idea that it's been generously allowing guest workers into um, Israel to work. Can I say that one of the untold stories of what's happened in the last couple of weeks is the thousands of Palestinian guest workers from Gaza who have been incarcerated and locked up? We don't know where they are. We don't know what's happened. And we have some idea. But there's a huge untold story there about thousands of workers 
who were simply doing a job when the war started, and they've just been rounded up and locked up. The idea that Raphael was saying that the Secretary General is supporting terrorism, honestly, Raphael, people will listen to that and simply laugh at all your other ideas, some of which I think are perfectly reasonable. To accuse the Secretary General of being a criminal and of being someone who supports terrorism, that simply won't resonate with anyone. It's condemnable that you can make these comments about the world's top diplomat who's working tirelessly along with his superb staff to bring peace to your part of the world. As for your comments on UNRWA, as UNRWA spokesman for 15 years, I dealt with this lie time and time again. We had uh, people who would film Hamas schools, where indeed there were uh, summer camps and other things which were teaching um, extremism to, to children. We investigated every single one of those, and we showed that they were all a pack of lies. Similarly, during the Gaza War in 2014, when militants put rockets in our schools, when we found them, they, the schools had been mothballed for the summer, when we found these rocket components, the first people we told pretty much were the Israelis. We had no credit for that. Instead, we were told the narrative went out from Mark Regev at the time and others that other Israeli spokespeople that UNRWA was collaborating with terrorists in order to send rockets okay. into Israel. All of these anti-UNRWA um, tropes right. about UNRWA supporting terrorism have all been fully investigated and they're complete lies. And the very last point about international support for Israel, if you actually listen to the global south, the billions of people in the global south, for them, this is the last anti-colonial struggle, the last vestiges of the anti-colonial struggles from the 19th century. This is the last struggle against white people throwing brown people off their land. Right. And if you look at what's capable, what brings people onto the streets today, there are three or four issues. There's Black Lives Matter, there's the Me Too movement, there's global, there's climate change, okay. and the Palestinians. And Rishi Sunak and Biden, they better listen because they're all under threat from their electorates okay. and the street. The, the, the people of, on the planet are very much standing with the Palestinians in, Palestinians in their anti-colonial struggle. OK. Uh, Richard, we'll just talk quickly about what the UN is trying to do now. There'll be going to be another Security Council meeting while, we're, uh, while this programme is on air. They want a, the US has called for a pause in the fighting and Russia wants a humanitarian ceasefire. Help us understand what the difference is and what you would like to see. I would like to see uh, a cessation of the violence mm. altogether uh, and a humanitarian ceasefire is something that is generally understood as a prelude to political negotiations. Mm -hmm. And Hamas is an elected... Remember that Hamas, Hamas is a political actor that has committed terrorist acts in its attack of October 7th. But the idea of eradicating a political actor because it has committed an act of terrorism would apply to many governments, including that of Israel, and is a very dangerous doctrine. And wow. as it's being implemented in the violence that we've witnessed so far, it has uh, jeopardized the lives of thousands and thousands of innocent Palestinian people, including uh, several thousand Palestinian okay. children. It, oh. it is a great tragedy and catastrophe about which the UN as an organization cannot do anything effective so long 
as these Western powers block it from opposing the continuation of this okay. uh, onslaught on the Palestinian people. All right. Chris, there's going to be an after when Israel decides it's done as much as it can in Gaza. What's it going to need the UN for then? Frankly, everything. It's going to need the UN in a humanitarian sense, and that really puts UNRWA centre stage, and that means that UNRWA has to be properly funded. Even before this current crisis on the 7th of October, UNRWA was over $100 million short for its regular programmes, um, and it's since issued a flash appeal for over $100 million. So, yes, it will need the UN, but it will need UNRWA. The world will need UNRWA, but UNRWA needs to be properly funded by the world. UNRWA is the other huge service provider, um, apart from the Hamas authorities. Um, UNRWA has engineers, it has health workers, it has teachers, it has psychosocial supporters in the community. It has a broad range of social services that it offers. And those are going to have to be massively ramped up if, there's, if we're going to avoid a humanitarian catastrophe, which, frankly, we're in the midst of. As I said, 600,000 people have taken refuge in UNRWA schools, schools which are designed for a 1,000 kids during the day and then to be emptied out at night. So there's a massive task for UNRWA in just emptying out its schools. Um, but beyond that, there's going to be a huge um, rebuilding and rehabilitation program. Again, this is the fifth war that UNRWA yeah. in Gaza, that UNRWA has lived through. So UNRWA has experience in doing this. On the diplomatic front, it's really difficult to know what the way forward will be, um, because you have Israel arrogantly uh, condemning the Secretary General completely unjustifiably. But again, the UN will come to it, into its own, because it's going to be the place where all the parties are able to gather. There is to talk together. There is no other forum. So, you know, if the UN didn't exist, something like it would have to be invented. If UNRWA didn't exist, something like it would have to be invented. But we have to get away from this idea okay. of Israel and its American cheerleaders simply being right. able to reject the UN. That is not going to work in the post-war dispensation. OK. Uh, um, uh, Richard, Turkey's president, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, says he's saddened by the UN's inability to agree to a resolution regarding... Gaza. He wants reform of the Security Council. It's not the first time he's called for that. But also Brazil's President Lula da Silva says what's happening now in the UN is exposing the weakness of the UN. Do you, do you see those, recognise those calls as, as, of a need for reform of how the UN operates? Uh, I do, but I don't think the political conditions will allow that reform to take place, precisely because these powers don't want to give up their capacity to paralyze the organization if its uh, prescriptions go contrary to their strategic interests. And this is a shocking example where uh, the leading democratic constitutional governments of the world are overtly endorsing the most uh, heinous of crimes that unfold day by day in Gaza and have uh, committed the worst crimes that have been uh, shown to the world in since World War II. Right. It's a, a shocking moment. All right. And thanks to all our guests, to Richard Falk and Chris Gunners and to Raphael Jerusalemi, who joined us earlier. 
This episode was produced by Mohamed Alaishi, Sarah Gill, Fungi Noyan, Lion Rashwan and Gemma Harris. Studio sound was by Suraj Sankar. The programme was edited by Manish Mathai, Zain Badr and Joe DeFrace. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Thursday for our next episode. Coming up on The Take, hundreds of thousands of Israeli troops are mobilized for a ground invasion. But is the end game clear? That's The Take by Al Jazeera. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.